Hey, Bestie. So, according to my youngest daughter, who is 15, I'm going to be in the market for another race car because now she wants this to be a two-car team um, instead of my husband retiring um, from racing. So, I need to look for another car <laughs> pretty soon. So, Obviously, right now, nobody's really selling any around here. Uh, so, where am I going to look? I'm going to go to RacingJunk.com because there are plenty of people on there that are buying and selling race car parts, actual race cars, car haulers, because obviously that would probably be my next step because we only have an open trailer that can only fit one car. <laughs> so we're going to need something to, to bring two, v, two cars to a track, right? So more than likely, that's going to be a car hauler. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm going to go to racingjunk.com. Uh, you guys can actually set up a free account. And there are paid tiers, but you can start for free to sell or to buy anything on uh, that people have. So go to racingjunk.com and they are the official classified for RaceWife Unfiltered. Welcome to RaceWife Unfiltered, hosted by your favorite bougie racewife, Rachel Thornhill. Every week she shares stories of her life as a racewife and other women in motorsports, giving them a platform so their voices can be heard. Hey guys, welcome back to Race Wife Unfiltered. I am your host, Rachel Thornhill, and today we have a special guest with us. Uh, she is a race car driver. She's also a third-year law student. Uh, she was a... Uh, USAC champion and the second woman ever to win a USAC championship. So welcome Taylor Ferns. Hi, Taylor. Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. How are you? Yeah, doing well. Um, I'm so glad you were able to take time out of your hectic schedule <laughs> to be <laughs> on the podcast because you obviously have so much going on between racing and law school and everything else that you do. So, um, so yeah, no, thanks for taking the time out. I appreciate yeah. that. No, for sure. Thanks for reaching out uh, to me. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to do this and talk with you. And so I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, no, definitely. And, you know, obviously this gives you the opportunity to be able to share your story and let people know, you know, you know, how you even came into racing and like why you do this, because I mean, you know, we don't have a lot of women in motorsports. And so, right. you know, I feel, you know, the more women that can come on here and share their stories, the better. So, yeah. Yeah. So obviously, um, starting from the beginning, uh, your journey is, you know, becoming a race car driver. So did you grow up in a family that was already like involved in racing or was this just something that you fell into? Yeah, no, I come from a family that was previously involved in racing. So I pretty much grew up around it. 
Um, my maternal uncles, two of them, uh, both raced before I was even born in late models and stock cars. So that was kind of, we grew up celebrating the Daytona 500s and, you know, my family, every Sunday we tuned into in the NASCAR races. Uh, so definitely more so uh, like stock car type background. Um, and then when I was around five or six, a neighbor of ours had a quarter midget. And so it kind of sparked my dad and my uncle's curiosities. And uh, we ended up driving to nearby Lansing, Michigan. Um, and I was, I think, like five or six at the time. And I sat in it in the car and it was just instant butterflies. And so from that moment on, I've been hooked. So 21 years later and uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's a long time to you. Um, you know, to already, you know, be immersed in, in the racing community for 21 years is, is amazing. Um, you know, I know I, for example, I've been in it for 18 years, but I mean, I was an adult, you know, coming into yeah. the sport because my husband, you know, I got into racing through my husband. So, mm -hmm. you know, you being able to grow up with it from a very young age is an, an amazing thing. And so like, that's something that my kids are going through right now. So like they, mm -hmm. they've grown up, you know, around racing since they, they were pretty, well, my youngest was almost born at a racetrack. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, so they've been around it forever. And so right. you know, that makes sense that you would possibly end up either being a race car driver or being somehow affiliated mm -hmm. with racing in some way. Right. Yeah. So it's so funny because the irony of, of it is, um, I guess maybe what's unusual is I got into racing basically because of my mom, right. And my mom's family. And because my, my mom was so passionate about it and like, that's, we celebrated like the day 2500s and stuff with my mom's side. And so that's just how my dad got involved in it. Right. So my dad's a natural competitor too. So I think that's like what, and he's a car freak and stuff like that. So I think that's what sparked his interest. Um, but aside from that, I think the irony of this is it's so funny when my mom was in high school, she was nominated most likely to become a professional race car driver. Oh. Well, my, my mom never raced, but the irony is her daughter is. And so <laughs> <laughs> that's actually kind of like the funny part. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And also like the fact that you mentioned that it was your mom, because a lot of times it's the opposite. It's like, you know, people's dads are the reason why they get into racing or like their dad's a race right. car driver. So it's kind of like with my daughter, like, her dad's a race car driver, you know, so, yeah. you know, so she's gotten into it because of him, but yeah, the right. fact that it was your mom is, is what yeah. makes it like, you know, a really neat story because most people, it's not, it's not the mom, it's the dad that kind of gets them involved and stuff. Yeah. Right. And that's actually something that I just like started articulating because I used to always say, oh, my dad and my uncle, obviously it's my mom's brother that like mm -hmm. was the one that kind of aided us in getting involved in quarter midgets, but still I'm like, you know, we got involved into racing because of my mom really. And my mom used to go when my uncles were racing, my mom would be like the scorer when they raced Arca or do kind of like her, like, kind of like the limited gender roles, if you will, mm -hmm. that like females were basically limited to at that time, because when my uncles were doing that in the mid eighties, early nineties, I mean, right. really was really, especially at that time, there wasn't a lot of females racing. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, just kind of the irony of it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and the fact that your mom like found ways to be, um, 
you know, to be able to be immersed in the sport at that time. Because like exactly like what you mentioned back in the late 80s, early, early 90s, you didn't really have a lot of women involved in racing at all. Um, and mm-hmm. you definitely didn't have many of them driving either. Right. Um, and so for her to, you know, still find a way to be, you know, a part uh, of it, you know, is a great thing because, yeah, like it was very, very limited back then. You know, right. I mean, <laughs> you, you can barely even name a lot of the women that were even around back then because there was barely any. Um, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. So obviously, um, you starting at a very young age, I mean, you're talking about over 21 years of being in the sport. So do do you feel that like you had to come overcome like certain challenges and barriers, like just being in this male dominated industry, especially with you, you know, doing, um, sprint cars and midgets, there's not a lot of women in that side of racing, you know? Um, so, you know, do do you, do you feel that like you've, you know, you had to overcome certain barriers? So I guess from, like starting off with like the gender perspective Mm -hmm. growing up, like I started racing full-size midgets at a young age. Like I was 13, my first full-size 410 sprint car race, I was 14. So I got pretty, I mean, I started racing when I was six, but I kind of was like full throttle going up the ranks. Right. Uh, no pun intended, but so like my thought process was like, there wasn't a lot of females. I mean, even now, but especially then, I mean, that was over 10 years ago. Right. Um, a lot of females involved in open wheel, like what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just always kind of had this mentality though. I was just like one of the guys, like, I didn't really think about, oh, I'm a girl. Like they have this perspective of me or whatever. I always just kind of walked into the pits, like, okay, here's this young girl, (laughs) little blonde girl. (laughs) Like I just was always, I had the mindset, oh, I'm going to show them what I'm about. Right. Because I thought I was really talented. Um, and so that's just kind of like my perspective as far as like the gender stereotypes go. Mm -hmm. Um, but as I kind of, uh, progressed and I got older in age and I did take some time off to go and get, um, a bachelor's degree and a master's degree. And I'm finishing up law school right now, as you had mentioned, but um as i became educated on certain things like then you start highlighting like some certain experiences that you go mm-hmm. through and that you have to overcome um and i think like from that um i it's just like learning to stand your ground when you feel like maybe you're being undermined mm-hmm. um and i think that's like helped shape me a lot of into who i am today um but i guess like other barriers that really i have to overcome like any other race car driver is obviously this isn't an expense this isn't a cheap sport or right um it takes a lot of monetary and financial backing um and so i think that's like maybe the biggest obstacle to overcome like as you go up the ranks and Mm -hmm. especially even for me now being a team owner right and so i got to think of like all kind of like the cost input and output that we go through on a day-to-day basis just to keep the cars on the track right and so um i think like for me right now that's maybe like the biggest thing like any other driver in the pits Mm -hmm. um i always like recently i've been joking and saying you know the only people that are really making money in the sport are either like the hired help or the hired drivers and so (laughs) when you're kind of running the operation yourself and yourself like that is kind of the biggest thing for me to overcome at this moment yeah and and you're right. 
I mean, murder sports is expensive, <laughs> you know, no matter, no matter, you know, whether you do it for a hobby or whether you do it like as a full-time career. Um, and so, yeah. Um, and being a team owner, obviously you really have to like think more about the figures, um, of, yeah. you know, expenses and stuff. Um, you know, compared to like a driver that's being hired because I mean, they're just getting in that car, you know, every weekend and, and, and yeah. that's it. Like they don't really have a monetary expense. Um, yeah. and so, yeah. So no, I totally understand. It's like, you're seeing a totally different perspective. Of yeah. It and it's, that's, that's not to knock anybody else. Honestly, yeah. if you can do that, good for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I commend that. That would make my life a lot easier, right? Right. But um, I mean, I'm grateful for the experience, and like, I'm glad that I'm gonna, be, I'm able to kind of like handle it on the back end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that it's a unique experience, and I think my job working at the Sam Bernstein Law Firm and as an operations director, my experience doing that for five years has really played hand in, into what I'm doing now, and managing personnel and managing like the financial aspect and all that goes right. into it. So, um, it, it definitely like, it challenges me and I love that. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and obviously it's working, you know, you being your own, (laughs) you know, a team owner and everything, because I mean, of everything that you've accomplished. So, you know, I mean, it, you know, it's not, it's not like you did it for no reason and and, and it's obviously a success. So, um, obviously you mentioned, you know, you're studying law. So what concentration or did you go into and like, you know, what made you pursue law in the first place? Yeah. So, um, my background is actually in business, like my undergrad degree, Mm -hmm. I have a bachelor's in business with a concentration in finance and economics. And then my master's is in business with a concentration in finance and management. Um, and then with law school, you just kind of graduate with a generalized degree, just your Juris Doctorate. Um, But then obviously people kind of, you don't obviously have a concentration. So you kind of like find what you like throughout your courses, um, like throughout law school and stuff. And sometimes people kind of evolve what they concentrated in their work, Mm -hmm. like over time as they're working as a professional. Like some people start off a lot of times, recent law school graduates will go and work for the prosecutor's office. This is from what I've encountered, not saying that's what everybody does, Mm -hmm. but they'll go and work for the prosecutor's office. And then if they like kind of like that criminal type law, then some, they might go into defense or I know like people that I worked with and the attorneys at the Sam Bernstein law firm, like they started off at the prosecutor's office and then they ended up doing personal injury law and like what the Sam Bernstein law firm does. So, um, as far as that goes, like, I don't have a specific concentration, but I think my intentions are. Uh, to do some from a business corporate law um, and mm-hmm. stay within motorsports. Um, but kind of, I never had any intentions really when I was in high school of even wanting to go to college, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I was always the mentality. I'm like, I'm going to be a professional race car driver. I want to go off and j- I'm just going to race forever. Yeah. And so my parents were kind of more so the ones that were like, no, you got to go and get your four-year degree or whatnot. And so um, I pursued that route and it wasn't until my sophomore year at Grand Valley um, when I was going for my bachelor's that I literally just fell in love with my business law class. <laughs> um, and so, so soon after that, I always started studying for the LSAT and then I started working for the firm that I was at and then I started law school after I finished my master's degree. And so 
here we are. Oh, okay. Yeah. And honestly, that makes sense that you would possibly, you know, do business law because it helps you as well, because it, with everything that you're doing, you know, with motorsports and running a business, you know, so, you know, kind of having that background helps mm -hmm. you a lot, you know, to be able to keep a business, you know, sustainable and, and things like that. So, no, I mean, that, that's amazing that, you know, that you, yeah. that you picked that, <laughs> you know, thank you. Yeah. Um, because I mean, obviously you're, you are able to kind of like deal with your own stuff and you don't have to like delegate all that out if you choose not to, you know, instead mm -hmm. of hiring a legal team for things or, you know, doing all of that, which is extra yeah. expenses, you can handle it yourself. So. Yeah, exactly. And so that was kind of always my mindset. Like when I decided I was going to go to law school or I wanted to, um, I was like, you know what? People always assume when you go to law school, or you're going to be a lawyer, but you can honestly do so many different things. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, obviously having a law degree is a prerequisite to becoming an attorney, but I mean, you could go off and be, it still be a professor or a lot of people mm -hmm. go off and open in their own businesses, like you said, and then they just use that background as they kind of create their business plan. Right. Um, and so I feel like it's already helped me out a lot with like contractual stuff that I'm working on or <laughs> like other kind of like passion projects that I'm working on within motorsports. And so, um, yeah, it's just it's been a really uh, interesting experience for me and something that I'm really grateful for. Yeah. And then also, you know, you you also do a lot of other things. So you're you're an active member of Women in, Mo in Motorsports in North America, you know, so with that, like, is there specific like initiatives or projects that you're involved with them or, you know, or do you mainly just speak? So, um, there, it's kind of a variety of things <laughs> that I do. So when, uh, Wimna first started, um, mm -hmm. a few years, I think it was first announced like April of last year. Um, but okay. we, we had been working on it really for the past two years, as far as like the founding members group. Mm -hmm. Um, and so when we held our women would drive summit in right. Charlotte last year, I was on the planning committee for that, which was really cool along with a really, uh, great, like, uh, corporate partners and mm -hmm. other well-known drivers and stuff like that, that was on the board. So I was able to work with them and do that. Um, I do some speaking engagements regarding women in motorsports, North America. Um, in fact, actually, when I get off this call today, I have a presentation to talk with, um, the Bush light accelerate her oh, okay. that are part of that program this year and yeah. so uh, myself along with a few of the other women gals are going to be speaking to them about different topics and stuff like that to help with their programs um so yeah it's been a really great experience and really great networking and um it's real it's been really cool to uh be surrounded by a group of professionals that are so a so passionate about motorsport right but want to see the sport kind of grow and evolve overall um and that want to help and so i think that's been um honestly the coolest thing uh so it's really i love working with everybody on the team and so i'm excited to see where it goes yeah um and i i, I love you know what women in motorsports North America is doing. And obviously like you, like you mentioned with the, with the summit as well, um, you know, being able to bring all these women in motorsports, no matter what they do, because I mean, you don't mm -hmm. have just drivers there. You have, right. you know, you have media personalities, you have all different women that 
cater to the motorsport community that you right. know come together and you know and bond and also you know help you know create behind the scenes like different programs what whatever it can be to help yeah. more women get into the sport and i love that um and and i think that i think that's why like you know, more people that if you don't know about Women in Motorsports North America, obviously it is a nonprofit, you know, so definitely donate to them and, you know, help, help, you know, as much as you can, because obviously those funds go to, you know, creating programs like the Bushlight, um, you know, program for, mm-hmm. for women to be able to get into the sport. So yeah no and so um on top of that i mean it's been cool like i uh partnered with them to like donate a certain pro uh percentage of my proceeds from my merchandise to get back to women in motorsports mm-hmm. north america um and just kind of all the different projects that we've been working on together so um like i said i'm grateful for the opportunity to work with them and just kind of like see how much it grows and um yeah it's been really cool so far yeah um, and, and I, I love the fact that, um, you know, it was even created in the first place. Like it's something that was needed, um, yeah. and it was needed for a very long time. And I'm glad that, you know, Lynn and Beth and Cindy, you know, have worked together to, you know, to put something like this together. So, yeah, no, for sure. And it's like, actually, this was, I actually forgot my point that I wanted to make earlier. <laughs> But, um, no, it's great that you say that it's not just for drivers because it's not because right. me, me growing up, I was obviously a driver mm-hmm. and it was like, I, you, I've, I had tunnel vision, right. like I'm just going to be a driver. And then I kind of like lost or didn't have the mindset to think outside of that box. Mm-hmm. Right. So when I kind of had to go off and go to school, it was kind of like, oh my, if I can't drive my motorsports career is over. But right. it's really, it no. really wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now, now that I'm back driving, I mean, I want to still drive and compete for as long as I can from that standpoint. But I still work on other initiatives to kind of like prolong my career in motorsports right. and kind of keep my name going for whenever I do decide to hang up the helmet, if you will, mm-hmm. that be a team owner and have somebody driving my cars or like I'm a writer for speed sports. So I have that right. going. And then I'm working on some other initiatives so that when I am, I'm done. Like I still have that, you know? Yeah. And I think Beth, Beth Pareto was like a really great influence for me in that regard, because even when I came back to racing, I still was like, oh, but I'm a driver. And like, mm-hmm. you just think of it from that mindset. Um, so it's definitely given me a different perspective and all the other opportunities that not only myself, but all the other females have within motorsports, right? Yeah. Whether being a team owner or an engineer or like working in hospitality or marketing or being working with the media. I mean, there's so much, you know, like there's so many jobs within uh, the community. Um, and I think that's been really unique. Yeah. And and you're right. Like there's so many different things you can do in the motorsport community that isn't just driving, right? Like, for example, like myself being a content creator, you know, podcasts, yeah. whatever, whatever, you know, you want to do there's there is always something um right. that you can you know that you can cater to the motorsport community even if you don't want to be an actual driver so right yeah yeah and i think 
some people don't realize that it's like, because you also have, you know, like you have reporters, right. People with the media, right. You know, um, pit reporters, you know, different, different things. And like you mentioned, like even there's women on pit crews, there's women that are crew chiefs and engineers and things like that. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's just so many different parts that, you know, to, to this whole entire system that, Yeah. yeah, I think like, sometimes people don't realize that there's so many moving parts of the motorsport yeah. community, um, that puts yeah. it all together. So, yeah, no, for sure. And women is doing a really great job of highlighting that too. Um, at least from like what I, obviously I'm like involved from like a more subjective standpoint, mm-hmm. but like objectively, like if you see their social media right. and like the ways that they're promoting, not only it's not just promoting themselves, but like the initiatives that teams within motorsports are doing to kind of like increase the proportionality of female engineers mm-hmm. um or like things of that regard and so um i think it'll be really interesting to see where we are like i mean i always say rome wasn't built in a day so right yeah i think it's gonna, it's gonna take a while i mean if you think like females have been within motorsports really from the in- inception mm-hmm. but really like maybe even the past 10 years or more slowly becoming more involved so right I think it's gonna. I think with Wimna, it, you'll see like maybe a greater progression. But I think mm-hmm. it's still gonna be a while until we maybe have like overall equality. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like you mentioned, it starts somewhere, and the yeah. fact that they're really, you know, pushing this forward, um, you know, with everything that they have going on, you know, mm-hmm. you you just need that first step, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah. so, yeah. Um, they're bringing it more to the forefront. And so because of that, you know, that's why, you know, you're starting to see a lot more women in motorsport. And like you mentioned, yeah, I mean, I've been in it for 18 years. You've been in it for 21, you know, and I, yeah, I can tell you 10 years ago, there was barely any women. Like I, I couldn't even yeah. name how many women were in motorsports because it was so little. Um, and so, yeah. And now, you know, you have so many more women, you know, in the sport and what, no matter what organization, but I do love that there's a lot more women that are on the dirt side now that you did Mm -hmm. not see. Cause yeah, obviously that's what I've been around, you know, for 18 years Mm -hmm. is dirt mainly. And there's barely, there was barely any women back then yeah um and yeah. seeing like you and jade and lacy ferno and um, you know yeah. a bunch of you finally you know and then like taylor watson and harley white like all of you actually like really making your names in you know the mm-hmm. dirt side of racing is what i love because there isn't very many women that are doing dirt at all yeah no, and it's actually interesting because you talked about like 10 years ago, you wouldn't hear about a lot of females in motorsports and you wouldn't. And honestly, I accredit a lot of that to social media mm-hmm. too. I kind of joke with some of the girls. I kind of, I host these workshops and like I work with younger girls in motorsports because like I was once that girl, right? right? And Lynn St. James took me under her wing when I was like 12, 13 years old. And honestly, life-changing for me i think a lot of the opportunities or like even jobs that i've had and stuff like that are from the skills and characteristics that she taught me at such a young age 
And so I kind of just want to like pass that on, if you will. And so one of the things is social media has taken and brought in the attention to the up and coming girls in such a different way and like in a more positive manner than what I had to deal with when I was younger, right? Right. Like it was a big deal when I was up and coming. Like if you were in the newspaper, like on like my trophy wall behind me, like I have like new stacks of newspapers that I was in, right? And so that's maybe why like when I was up and coming like 13, 14, 15, like people really didn't hear about me a lot Mm -hmm. unless you were involved within the inner circle, right? Right. Or you got the local newspaper Mm -hmm. because it wasn't as easily accessible then as like, the evolution of social media has mm-hmm. become like you can hear about somebody within 2.5 seconds right, right with the way word travels and so i think that's also brought like greater visibility to the females that are involved now um than there was before because you just didn't hear about them right yeah. so um i i attribute a lot of that to social media too i mean the good the good stuff and the best <laughs> right i mean because with right yeah because unfortunately with social media like it's a love-hate relationship sometimes um because yeah you know you have the good stuff on social media but then you also have the bad stuff but yeah like you mentioned yeah social media is so much bigger now than what it was 10 years ago um and so for yeah to be able to build like your own personal brand now as you know um somebody that's in motorsports yeah, it helps get your name out and people actually actually know who you are. Um, yeah, yeah, before then, yeah, you had to depend on your location and yeah. where and where you would race at. Because even if yeah. you traveled, you know, if you traveled, yeah, you would probably become a household name in certain areas. But if you didn't have the money yeah. to travel and you stay local, that's it. Like people yeah. weren't going to know who you were. So exactly. And like the, all the streaming services that are available mm-hmm. now, like with flow or dirt vision or racing right. America, like that's another added bonus too, which is great because not only does it give like greater visibility to females, but motorsports overall, like, like with the ease of access, right. You don't have to drive. Like if you're in Indiana, you don't have to drive to California to see a race, right? Like if you can't afford to or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, I think there's a lot more opportunity now than maybe there was, you know, and that kind of allowings with like selling yourself to sponsors, you know, yeah. with all the greater access and visibility. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and like we talked about earlier, I mean, the biggest thing about motorsports is having the funding, the back. Right. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. And see, that was something that obviously wasn't available at, you know, at one time. So, um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it makes it a lot easier for you to see races. Cause yeah, like we, you know, we have flow and yeah, it's like, if I want to watch a race that's going on at Eldora or, you know, somewhere else around the country, you know, that I don't have access to, it's not like I can drive all the way over there, you know, like you can watch it. So, yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And so I think that's like something that's been a really great, like progression for the sport. So I think like with more of that and like along with, the t with what's on tv and stuff even right. though i feel like less and less people are like buying cable services now right but you kind of get the best of both worlds like if you do have tv or you can watch it on streaming or i guess mm-hmm. whatever you have access to you know yeah. so um i think that's good for the sport as a whole yeah um and then also like and i think that 
that's another thing too is a, a lot of stuff is almost being taken completely off of cable um mm-hmm. because like you have certain you have certain series that don't like they just stream it like through twitch or youtube yeah. you know so mm-hmm. um and so that's another thing as well like twitch and youtube has became a big you know big platforms for motorsports as well um because yeah. it's not just you know it's not just like some of these organizations streaming their stuff but you've got local tracks that stream their stuff on you know youtube or twitch sometimes if you know if they choose to put that into their marketing plan but then you right. also have you know just content creators that might live stream while they're at a race or whatever right. i've done that like you know i've i've done that on facebook multiple times right um and yeah and it works i mean honestly like i like one weekend i got like over a hundred followers in that one weekend just from wow. live streaming for two days right oh yeah that's very cool good for you like so yeah i mean right there yeah. it shows that like people really want to be able to see that stuff and it was a, and the thing is it was a local track because yeah they don't they don't do anything like that they don't promote they don't yeah. do anything um and that's also what's killing our local tracks too is because they don't promote they don't live stream their stuff they don't you know they don't show anything and yeah i and i gave people the opportunity to watch it and it's like yeah I think like the the trouble spot that I hear with some I don't granted like disclaimer I don't know how like mm-hmm. the contracts or the agreements work out like if a track decides or a series decide decides to live stream on a certain track I don't mm-hmm. know how that works yeah. out or how both parties get paid or make their money mm-hmm. obviously the streaming services you can assume make their money through the advertising right. that's offered but as far as the track goes you know I've heard things like by offering it on streaming services it takes away from the business and like people that actually come to the track. Which you might be able to see in some circumstance. That's why I feel like there might be something that may be able to be worked out, like from a business mm-hmm. contractual standpoint between the streaming service and the track, because it's beneficial to both parties, right? Yeah. By offering it on the streaming service, mm-hmm. but also by the streaming service being able to go to that particular track, right? Yeah. Because they're getting more viewers and like the streaming services and then so is the racetrack exactly but at the same point in time like the racetracks by people not showing up to the track they might be losing out on concession stand money which is really where they make their money Mm -hmm. selling the beverages the alcohol so on and so forth and so sometimes like smaller tracks and smaller towns i don't think can support that really but i don't know the and all the schematics about it the economics so i understand what you mean I come from like the standpoint of like both perspectives, mm-hmm. but I feel like there's got to be a way because it is good as a whole for everybody. Yeah. If, like something worked out. Um, I always play devil's advocate and like, like try to be the mediator. Right. <laughs> so maybe that's what I'll do with my lottery. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so like, for example, like I'll just give you an example of like our track. So like our local track is Baton Rouge Raceway you know, because that's where we were located. We're located in Louisiana and that's the closest track to us. Well, thing is they don't promote. Most people that are even local did not even know that the track was still open. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, I don't know how many times like we'll go because like my my husband, we use an open trailer. Like we'll stop at like a gas station or something like that, pull in the car. And we'll be like, oh, well, where are you guys going? Because they see the car. And we're like, oh, Baton Rouge Raceway. They're like, that place is still open. 
And we're like, yeah, yeah, they race like every other week. And they're like, yeah, I, I've lived here. Like this one person was like, I've lived here for 30 years. And yeah. I did not even know that place was still open. Oh my God. And it's because they don't promote anything. Like they yeah. just, they just, you know, depend on the regular people that show up every week. And, yeah. and so for them, technically live streaming would be beneficial because they only have the same people that show up every week. You could yeah. get more people to come in. Right. You know? Um, and yeah, like I feel like for tracks like that that never promote themselves. Yeah, see all, that's that's yeah. that's a problem. Yeah. Um, because like also by having it on the streaming service, that's almost like a way of self-promoting, right? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times like the flow or the dirt vision will promote it too. Yeah. Um and so I'm just always super mindful of that. Like when I'll make a post about where I'm racing mm -hmm. that day or weekend or whatever, I'll always say, okay, you can watch it on flow, but also like tickets at the gate are X amount yeah. or whatever. Kind of like encourage if somebody's in the area, like to come to the track, right? right and support the track mm -hmm. so they can keep their doors open too. Yeah. Because my, my under, I'm just operating under the assumption that the track doesn't get anything from the streaming service if they Got decide it. to do that. So I honestly don't know. I'm coming right. from a place like I am not sure. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and that makes but, sense. Yeah. 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 But I think like there's got to be ways that everyone can make it work to mm -hmm. do, like find that happy medium. So. Yeah. Um, plus you always have, plus you always have people like that would prefer to physically go to a track anyway than watching it on TV, mm -hmm. especially if it's close. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. And that and that's kind of like that's kind of where I see it from, too. So almost like a devil's advocate type thing. Because yeah. it's like, if people see that that place is open by seeing the live stream, it's like, oh, well, you know, and seeing the race and if they actually like what, you know, what's going on during the live stream, they could yeah. possibly show up next weekend, you know, right. or, or, and see it in person. So, I mean, there's some people that they have to watch races in person. And I'm one of those yeah. people, like, I would love to be able to go to like all these different races, but I don't live like close enough to it or I'm not going to like fly out to a race for a weekend. Like, right. You know, that yeah. gets expensive. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, if, if it's somewhere far, then yeah, I can, I can justify that. But if it's a track that's close, I mean, if I'm watching a live stream, I'd be like, Oh, well, that place is like not that far from me, you know, maybe I'll go to that track next time. Right. Yeah. I feel like there's nothing like the atmosphere of being at the track. Right. So right. if I can go, I'm like you, if I can go to the races, like I'll go there myself. Mm -hmm. uh, because like when you watch it on flow and stuff like that, you know, it could be late at night. It's too easy to fall right. asleep. It's, it's different if you're there, mm -hmm. you're experiencing it in person and it's always cool to interact with like other people who are passionate about motorsports. And then also it's interesting. Sometimes you'll run into people or my mom will tell me, yeah, somebody like it was their first time. They just drove by and they saw the track was here. So they stopped in and people will be like, who are you cheering for? And then my mom wound up saying, oh, my daughter's racing. And then you establish a connection in that way. And then you get a new fan, you know. And so I always kind of say, like, people don't know what they don't know. And so right. if tracks aren't promoting it, they're only hurting themselves. Yeah. Um, because like people in the area might, won't even know like what you're saying that it's going on if there's no promotion. Yeah. So, yeah.
the business and motorsports, it's interesting. <laughs> right. Yeah. And I mean, especially with you obviously having that background, it's like you kind of like understand the logistics of all of it. And it's like, why wouldn't you promote? Like, that's the only way for people to know who you are. That's the only yeah. way that you can get more people in the seats, which brings you more money, which means you know, you're able to stay yeah. open and stay sustainable. Like other than that, you're not going to be sustainable if you keep just like treating it like a hobby and just like, oh, right. well, you know, it'll pay for itself eventually. Yeah. I mean, you can't do that. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. So like for me, like I work for myself basically. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm kind of all about like self-promoting so right. with my connections and stuff that I have like if somebody reaches out to me and says hey whether they work for a track or a series like mm -hmm. would you mind doing this media day or whatever right. I will kind of make that like as much of a priority as I can to be there um because not only am I promoting themselves but it's like a catch-22 like I'm also promoting the series or the track and all the other drivers mm -hmm. involved and my sponsors and all my other affiliates and stuff like that so right. Uh, like there was a, actually a late model race at the local Anderson Speedway this past weekend. Mm -hmm. And I haven't raced late models in over 10 years. I obviously I race sprint cars, right. but the owner of Anderson Speedway also runs the 500 sprint car tour that I race in. Oh, okay. And so like we were like, okay, why don't I had offered to bring my sprint car to Anderson to promote oh. the tour. But I also brought my merchandise trailer so I could also self-promote. Right. And so I ended up selling a lot of merchandise, promoted the 500 tour to like a group of people that aren't even really familiar with sprint cars. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of like a catch-22. And so there was like a way of benefiting from all angles. Yeah. And so like if we can make that, if I can like make that happen to like help out other people and it also like selfishly helps out yourself, like <sighs> why would you do that? So it's kind of like what you're talking about by promoting the tracks too. Yeah. And so, and, and that, that's pretty much what I did. Um, because there was like this big event is at a track that actually isn't really open. So Pike County mm -hmm. Speedway in Magnolia, Mississippi, they're practically closed, but they yeah. will only open like if somebody's willing to put up the money to like run it for like a weekend. And okay. so that's what it was. So it was called the I-55 Street Stock Shootout because mm -hmm. it was put on by a street stock series in Mississippi. Yeah. But they also had other classes running. But, you know, that was like the big event, you know, the main right. event of, the, you know, of that weekend. So it was yeah. a three-day weekend thing. Um, and so we so we went um, they because they – they uh, ran ads on the podcast. Um, mm -hmm. And so I uh, told them that I would be willing to, you know, kind of like be in the pits, kind of, you know, like live stream and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, like between the podcast and the live streams, like they got like a lot of traction just with the podcast because of, because of all the like just, people listening to it and stuff, they ended up yeah. adding more classes because more people wow. were coming. Like, wow. you know, it really helped, you know, boost everything, you know, like yeah. they had a lot more people interested, you know, they also gained more sponsors for it and all this. And then with the live stream, there were so many people watching, like, you know, um, because that's never been a thing. Like they've never right. live streamed any of their races. 
nothing like that. And so I, I live streamed on my Facebook and I just, you know, commented on their, you know, on their Facebook page that I was going to be live streaming. And Mm -hmm. there was a lot of people that ended up watching it. Like, um, I know one of like one night after all was said and done and like people went back and like watched the replays, there was over 700 views. And that's yeah. a lot for that small track, you know, that's right. not, yeah. So it's like, no, that is. yeah, wow. so that, yeah. so that, and also like I had a woman, she told me that, um, she's like, I would literally pay to watch the live streams of like local tracks around here. And yeah. I was like, you've given me like a really good idea. And I'm like, I'm going to run with that because, yeah, because it's true. Like you don't you have start a lot offering of these- people to subscribe to your Facebook channel <laughs> to stream the races. That's funny. Yeah. So, um, I told, I told her, I said, you've given me a really good idea, um, to run with. So yeah. So like, I'm trying to like figure that out, but like on a yeah. grander scale, like involving mm-hmm. other content, motorsport content creators, you know, yeah, but like cool. all over the place though, you know, yeah. so because you don't have a lot of local tracks that even invest in doing all that, you know, No, and no. it's like, if there's a way to get them to like, you know, get other content creators to come together and live stream at these tracks that don't do it, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, yeah. So I'm, trying to come up with something like that yeah no good for you that's awesome like you recognize a problem and then yeah to do it so good for you and i it will only benefit not only the tracks but like the communities too right so exactly like the people that it may attract and bring in and stuff like that like whether it's the mom and pop shops or the local gas mm-hmm. stations or whatever so yeah wow good for you that's awesome yeah i'm trying to think of what that what that looks like (laughs) but yeah yeah but you have the idea though yes but i have the idea (laughs) because i feel it's needed like especially you know seeing that issue with our tracks and we've got so many tracks that have closed just recently Mm -hmm. because they just they're not you know they are not really running it correctly and so it's because they don't promote they don't do anything they just Mm -hmm they just you know expect the regular people to show up and yeah you can't do that no and i think with this day and age like as time goes on like i think it's like no secret that like really the people who are who have been really traditionally involved in motorsports over the past few years Mm -hmm. like society has changed so much with video games like technology and stuff Mm -hmm. like that and so as the older generation gets older and they um like stop coming to the track or whatever um because like those are really like the biggest fan base that you have right now Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like you need to pass it along to the younger generations and so you have to kind of attract them and sell it to them right and so um Outside of just by like showing crashes as commercials and stuff like mm-hmm. that, because you need to keep them there without their accidents and stuff, you know. Right. But um, like, there's got to be a way we, we kind of need to keep the gearhead messaging yeah. moving along to the younger generation, um, because there's so many other opportunities or like other sporting events and stuff for like kids to go to these days. So it's kind of like we need to get creative with ways of like bringing them to the track mm-hmm. or what, bringing it to the streaming services. And so I think like by having the live streaming is like we're posting it and doing the streaming on like social media or whatever. It's like yeah. a way of attracting that. So um, yeah, it's interesting. 
Yeah. And, and and like you mentioned, that's exactly what it is. I mean, because unfortunately, a lot of the track owners, you know, you don't have you still don't have a lot of young people owning tracks yet. You know, oh, it's yeah. mainly older people that don't want to keep up with the times, really. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, they're they're killing their own generational wealth because you own that track. You can pass that on to your kids. Yeah. But you're going to kill it before it can even get to your kids because you're refusing to market it and actually promote it like you should. Yeah. 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 They're just like expecting like what you're saying, the same crowd to come back. And it's mm -hmm. like at some point, like they're not. Yeah. So you kind of you need to get creative. And so, mm -hmm. I mean, it's tough to like reinvent yourself over time, especially right. when you get like stuck, like when something probably worked for so long. Exactly. How do you change that? People don't really adapt well to change. And so no. <laughs> I think it's like, I don't even like the word change. I, I use the word like evolve. Yeah. I think like too. as humans, we should constantly evolve. evolve yeah. But I think maybe people get to a certain point to where they just stop <laughs> mm -hmm. and they get stuck in their ways and then they right. go and transition. And then that leads to like their demise, right? Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you're right. That's exactly what it is. And especially like for a track like Baton Rouge, that track's been around since the 70s. Like wow. this is a historical yeah. place. And it's like, yeah. I hate for it to go away because they just don't yeah. want to do anything with it. And yeah. it's, it's the only track that we have here that still runs on a, a consistent basis because all the other right. ones have either closed or they're too far away um, yeah. to where, you know, most people here, this is all they have. There is no other track down here unless yeah. you want to drive four or five hours north. Other yeah. than that, you have That's nothing hard. else. Like all you have yeah. in this southern part of Louisiana and the southern part of Mississippi um, is Baton Rouge. That's all you've got. Because now yeah. the other track that we had that was south is a little bit further going towards texas though yeah. um they closed they closed like two months ago so wow. yeah in the middle it of is... the season like they they just stopped. that's so sad yeah yeah so um so yeah and honestly this is not the first time that tra track has closed and like changed hands it's closed and changed hands many times over the years Jeez. but that's well, the problem we we have here so yeah and unfortunately, I feel like it's kind of like spreading throughout like the yeah. U.S., right? But I mean, good for you. I commend you for like taking it upon yourself to like try to keep things going um, on your own time. And so um, I'm looking forward to hearing what comes about or fruition from your idea. So <laughs> yeah, I'm I, I'm hoping that it, it's something that once I fully get the whole idea compartmentalized and figured out, yeah, that more that. A con other content creators would be willing to be involved in it because and you know and that also you know drivers pretty much anybody in motorsports that you know is you know is passionate about like their local tracks and you know and stuff like that to you know to help because that is something that I feel it you know it's almost becoming its own like its own pandemic within itself because so many tracks are closing um, mm -hmm. I mean, just like um, NHRA, they mentioned like the, the the last track that they just went to, that was their last race there. Yeah, Bandemir. Yeah, Bandemir. Yeah. yeah, 
that's it. They're closing yeah. it. And like, that's crazy because, you know, it's like, that's, that's a track that's been around forever. And no. Yeah. I actually, I had met Tammy Vandermeer um, oh, okay. at PRI a couple of years ago. And I just sent her a note the other day, like, kind of wishing her congratulations yeah. on her time there and they are looking i think for other property maybe like oh okay in that area to build so i think that like they might rename it bandamere speedway i was trying to like keep up with it and be knowledgeable about mm-hmm. it before before i sent a friend like an email about something but um yeah it's like sad to hear and unfortunately it's kind of almost becoming like an epidemic in yeah. ways you know? but you're hearing about some of the tracks like starting to come back though too so mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll see what happens. It's right. Just keep it what we can, I guess. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. And, you know, my husband and I were talking about it. It's like in order for motorsports to stay around, we have, these tracks have to stay open, you know? Yeah. And because other than that, you're not going to be able to bring the, the, you know, the younger generations along if you don't have tracks that are even open right so right. it's like you have to have the tracks open in order to be able to you know expose the younger generations to motorsports but it's like right. if you have all these tracks closing at such an alarming rate you know yeah. then, it, then it really kills the whole drive of you know motorsports staying around i mean motorsports is literally one of the oldest sports you know ever and mm-hmm. the fact that you know we're having this problem, you know, tracks staying open is, is, you know, it's unfortunate. And it's like, I don't want that to happen. And it's like, if somebody going live streaming at a track, you know, every week or twice a month or whatever helps it stay open, I feel like that, you know, I help, you know, because that brings people to, you know, to the, to that area. I mean, why not? Like, you know, Oh, for sure. Well, if I'm ever in Baton Rouge, I promise I'll have to stop by the track and see it and watch a race. Yeah. <laughs> never, as much as I've traveled, I've never been to Louisiana. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's like one of the few remaining states I've left to go to. So it is on my list. Yeah, definitely let me know if you come down here because um, yeah. yeah. Louisiana is definitely an interesting state. We have yeah. some... Yeah, it, it, it's crazy how separated we are because it's like there's just like certain areas. So like North Louisiana is completely different. It's okay. Okay. might as well be a whole nother state because, really? yeah. yeah, the culture is just different. That's all. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. down here, the culture is like totally different from northern Louisiana. Yeah. Because my husband's originally from North Louisiana. And when oh, he, yeah. he came down here like there was people here that thought he was foreign that he wasn't even from louisiana because they're like you don't eat the food like he my husband doesn't he doesn't eat like you know the food here and stuff like that like he doesn't eat crawfish he doesn't eat none of that and they're like 
Yeah. Are you sure you're from Louisiana? Like, you don't act yeah. like somebody from here. Yeah, it's just like something from a particular. Well, so it's so interesting you say that because, like, when I go over to Europe or whatever, like, mm-hmm. you could drive a car or take a train ride and it only be an hour or two hours. And there, like, the countries are smaller. So you're in a different country, right? Wow. Well, you think about it in the US, we're so big yeah. that you drive like two to four hours and you're in a different state. Well, it's like, I lived in Indiana on and off for like years mm-hmm. and I still kind of go back and forth between Michigan and Indiana. And then I spend a lot of time in Florida and it's like, so people got to think like each state has their own culture. Right. Yeah. But also within that, some of the states are so big mm-hmm. that they also have their own oh. internal cultures. And yeah. so it's just so interesting to think about that. Like I kind of put it to like a European, like compare it to Europe yeah. in that way. Um, and so I always kind of say states are kind of like their own little countries. Like yeah. they all have their own sets of cultures. And yeah. The way they go. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And here it's like, it, it's even more separated, not just from North and South Louisiana, but even certain areas of Southern Louisiana are different. Like New Orleans, it's its own thing. Like yeah. people that live in New Orleans are completely different from literally the rest of the, the state yeah. because they have, they have a specific culture there and then it's like then you get a little bit further away like the baton rouge area where i live you've got a certain type of culture here and then you know you go further out like lafayette which is where i'm originally from that is extremely like that's cajun creole area and so like we have a really like distinct culture there and so it was actually culture shock for me when i came here because yeah. everything was different. Even the way that we say certain words in Lafayette are not said here. Um, like the dialects mm. are even different. Um, that is like, so interesting. Yeah, it's crazy because I didn't even know that until I moved here because like people would say their last names different here from where whenever where I live in Lafayette. Yeah. And it's the same last name, but they pronounce it different. And I was like, that is so crazy. Yeah, it it shocked me. Well, um, it just goes to show you like the different regional cultures and so yeah. like it's not just limited to states, but also within like subregions. So mm-hmm. when I go to Louisiana, I'll have to kind of make sure I, I hit all the spots so I can Yeah, yeah. I, I can be your <laughs> tour guide. Because yes, I'll, so definitely much- have, I'll definitely have to let you know. <laughs> yeah, because I mean it there's so I mean we have such a big French culture because I mean that's you know a lot of stuff is in French Um, yeah so yeah um so that's why a lot of uh like that's why a lot of times like names of like cities or things like that people Mm -hmm. don't always pronounce right it's because Mm -hmm. we have that mixture of you know French and Spanish and Italian uh, because we have a lot of Sicilian yeah okay yeah and so you've got a big mixture of that plus indigenous because you know a lot of a lot of us are also you know native so yeah mix all that together yeah you have like really very diverse yeah it's very distinct culture that so you that's why like everything here has like that mixture of different languages so Mm -hmm. interesting well i'll keep that in mind when i plan a trip (laughs) So I'll have yeah. to let you know where I come. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, it, it's always it's always good to like 
come here at least one time and like experience. I definitely say if you've never experienced Mardi Gras before, it's a definite. Um, okay. Yeah, not kid friendly. Um, no, but <laughs> but yeah, noted. Yeah, I'll note definitely it now. noted. And well, at least yeah. in New Orleans, like if you go to New Orleans for Mardi Gras, yeah, it, yeah, most of it is not kid friendly. Um, yeah. So yeah, you can't really. Bring well, I don't kids. have to worry about that. But right. I Right. But yeah, but no, it's definitely worth like experiencing at least one time. Cause that's like, I mean, that's like what we're known for is Mardi Gras here. So yeah. No, for sure. For sure. I know it's on like my list. I have never been to New Orleans or obviously never been to Louisiana. So never been to New Orleans. So I'll have to, I'll make it there here sometime soon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But yeah, no, um, I'm so glad you were able to come on here and share your story and be able to like talk about everything that you've got going on. So yeah, yeah, definitely. So obviously, you know, well, um, guys, if you're listening, we're going to link everything, like all of Taylor's social media, her website, everything that we can obviously find. Um, so you can, you know, keep up with Taylor's journey and everything that she's doing. Um, and obviously, you've got so much going on. I don't know how you manage all of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's tough at times, but we're here. I'll love to tell the tale. <laughs> right. But yeah, so no, but definitely good luck with everything you've got going on. I know you've got school and you've got racing and you've got work and you've got all these other things going on. But yeah, I definitely yeah. wish you luck in everything that you're doing. And, you know, we'll definitely keep, you know, keep up to date with everything you've got going on. Yeah, no, sounds great. I appreciate the opportunity to talk and I enjoyed the conversation and looking forward to staying in touch. And uh, yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, no, you're welcome. All right, guys. So that was it. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Taylor. I know I did. Um, She was great to talk to you and obviously getting to know about her career and everything that she's got going on um, was very interesting and I hope that you know you guys learned a little bit more about her and support her in her journey Um, because Taylor's been doing it for 21 years now and I know she's not stopping Uh, so yeah definitely check out her social media links and her website and everything uh, will be in the show notes. Also, um, there is going to be a link to Women in Motorsports uh, North America. And like I did mention, they are a nonprofit. So, you know, if you guys feel called, please donate to them because um, all of that, all of those proceeds go to all the initiatives that they put into place to help women um, get into motorsports and also stay in motorsports because, you know, they help, um, you know, sponsor some of these women uh, to be able to actually race. So um, so definitely check them out as well. And um, and yeah, guys, so I, I hope that you guys are still loving all the content. Um, we are getting so close, so close to the end of the year, you guys. Like, literally, it's crazy that the podcast has been going for almost a year. We make a year on December 22nd. 
Um, and I can't thank you guys enough. So definitely, you know, rate and review um, the podcast on whatever platform that you listen to. Um, definitely make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast, whether it's on Apple or Podbean or Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever. Because, I mean, we're also on iHeartRadio. We are on uh, Amazon Music. We're on so many different platforms. But, yeah, guys, so I hope you are enjoying um, all the content. And we're definitely going to have more things coming up that will not actually be a part of the podcast. Um, We will be having some live segments. um, And also, you know, we do have a YouTube channel now. um, And I will be updating that every two weeks at first and then it might become a little bit more frequent it's just at the very beginning you know it's a little slower start but we'll get there so yeah definitely check that out i will have that link in the show notes as well um and yeah that's it guys so uh, i will see you next week so take care